My name is Penny Dreadful. My journey is beginning. A journey that I hope will open the doors of life to me and link my past with my future. A journey that will bring me to a strange and a dark place, to the edge of the sea, high atop Widow's Hill. And there, I am sure to find terror at Collinwood. Welcome to episode two of Terror at Collinwood. This is Penny Dreadful, and I have a spectral guest here with me this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Eric Marshall, my good friend. Uh, Eric and I have known each other for several years now, and uh, we've been co-writers on the Masters of the Universe brand on the Toy Bios, and we've worked together on the uh, Dark Horse books, several Masters of the Universe Dark Horse books, which we've been both uh, fortunate enough to work on. Eric is a is an extremely talented writer. He is an artist. He is a graphic designer, and he designed the logo for this podcast that you're listening to right now. I love that logo, the woodcut design. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Good evening. <laughs> Crossover: Barnabas meets Alfred Hitchcock. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my favorite line so far of the show is, I should know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your history in terms of your, your viewing history when it comes to Dark Shadows. So I, I've seen it scattered. Uh, throughout the years, and I know I've I've seen it. Like uh, I know I was not in school anymore, but I does I do have the back of my mind coming home and seeing episodes for several weeks. You know, at a time before something happened, and I couldn't. Uh, I started missing it. Um, I think maybe when it was on Sci Fi Channel or something like that, where they were you know definitely editing editing it down so you weren't getting you knew you were missing things because they were cutting a few seconds off for commercials. Um, and I remembered, primarily I remembered that it was a lot of, I didn't know at first that it was alive. So I remember a lot of talking about things. I remember Quentin and Barnabas were both heavily mentioned, but they never seemed to meet each other. They, you know, like you're, I felt like I was being hyped for these two characters to run into one another. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember specifically thinking, Quentin was supposed to turn into a werewolf. It never happened, mm-hmm. at least not in the episodes I saw. And I didn't realize, well, of course it wouldn't. It's live TV. They weren't going to easily, uh, I mean, I guess they could have, because I haven't gotten Quentin yet in my current viewing. Um, uh, I guess they could always do like they did with Jeremiah's ghost and just have somebody else come in. At that. Well, that yeah, that's what that's exactly what they did. They had um, Alex Stevens, who was a stuntman, and he played the werewolf in the show. So when when Quentin transformed, they would uh, you know fade to uh, they do they do a fade transformation where it would you know fade from one actor to the other, uh, and so uh, that that's how they accomplished the werewolf transformation. So they used it. They actually used a different actor to play their two werewolf characters on the show. There's one other besides Quentin, but uh, Alex Stevens played uh, the the wolf form for both of those characters. Yeah. Well, and I didn't, um, I know there were, yeah, there were more werewolves. And I, I know I did not realize early on that they do time travel so much. Yes. Because I was aware, I was like, so the show is a period piece. And then other, no, there, this isn't a period piece. Did they 
travel forward in time or something. And did not realizing it started in, mod, well, then, modern 1967, and that the jumping around in time was really one of the more fantastical and unique aspects of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, unique in that you didn't normally, I guess, do that with vampires. You mean, you might have flashbacks, but not actually travel <laughs> right yeah yeah definitely and, and then somehow prevent the character who does the time travel from realizing she's talking to the vampire as a human <laughs> <laughs> which i keep forgetting oh that's right she's not going to know that this is the same barnabas because she doesn't know he's a vampire right she thinks he's his ancestor and that's where you are in your you, you've gone back to Tubi now and you've you're you've watched the series from the beginning yeah. and you're in 1795 right now right Right. Um, you, uh, she's just, uh, Vicky has just been captured by uh, Reverend Trask. That's the mm-hmm. where I'm at. And I had never seen it from the beginning when you told me that, I, and, and I know I had tried to watch it and I could tell that it wasn't the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when you told me that it's because they broke it up. And the first 200 episodes are Dark Shadows, the beginning, which is also on Tubi. And so that opened everything up because I really... I really liked seeing it from the beginning and getting uh, the setting because I know when I had been younger and seeing the scatterings of episodes, I never quite figured out what's with the sea? Why do we keep seeing the waves on the rocks? And exactly what's the house to everybody? Because it wasn't always obvious to me that they were in that house, especially since there are two houses. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I didn't understand the setting and the atmosphere because it I think as it, I mean, in the episodes I remember seeing, they weren't exactly stopping to tell you very much about Colin Wood's history or, you know, Colin's port's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the context wasn't really there. Mm-hmm. And so I really liked being able to see the original episodes and see, though, this is the world they've, they've gotten into. I mean, you don't absolutely need it to enjoy some of the crazy stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they, you know, that those episodes were they they did not air those in syndication when they syndicated the show in the seventies. It always started with Barnabas, and uh, those episodes were remained unseen until uh, MPI Home Video released them, and the sci- sci- Sci-Fi Channel started playing Dark Shadows. When that happened, then people finally got to watch those episodes in the nineties. So for twenty five years or so you know, those episodes were unseen. And you made an interesting point when we we emailed each other, which I uh, agree with. And I, it never really occurred to me, but you know, we've had several attempts to reboot Dark Shadows or to remake Dark Shadows. We had the 91 series. Uh, there's the unaired 2004 pilot. And then there was, I heard there was something in 2012. With, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, some, some, I don't know, uh, something that rhymes with Hurton, Jim Hurton. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, they all <laughs> they always start well, with snark shadows is what that yeah, yeah snark shadows <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah <laughs> the movie that shall not be be named here uh, but we <laughs> they always start with Barnabas every time including the 91 series which Dan Curtis helmed uh, always starts with Barnabas and you made an interesting point in the email that, that you sent to me which was that maybe they shouldn't start with Barnabas maybe they should devote, you know, a few couple of weeks at least to developing um, 
you know, bringing in Burke Devlin and Victoria Winters and establishing the Collins family and the Collins family history and Collins sport, and maybe having hints of Barnabas. You see his portrait in the background and they mention him and things, but not diving into Barnabas right in the first episode, you know, maybe building up to that if they were to do, to attempt another remake. And I think that's, that's an interesting, that would be an interesting approach because it would really set the stage for Barnabas. Yeah. I, I, I really, um, did find, find it interesting how, how, uh, De- Burke Devlin was kind of, you might want to talk about it more uh, later, but mm-hmm. Burke Devlin was kind of, he was sort of the Barnabas of the first 200 episodes. He was mm-hmm. the mysterious character, except they all knew who he was and, and we didn't. They all knew how he was dangerous, but we were trying to figure that out. Whereas with Barnabas, we knew this guy's dangerous. We knew his, we could pretty much tell he was a vampire. We, we weren't, you know, it was confirmed after a couple of couple of episodes because uh, I, I, I guess you could maybe have not known it. I think it was pretty clear, but I mean, <laughs> they were sly enough that maybe that first episode, you could just be a little confused. But, um, but we knew it and the characters had no idea. Uh, so that really changed. By that point, we knew the characters, so that wasn't a problem. But I, I think that was part of what turned me off about the remakes was that you don't know who these people are yet, and now they're reacting to another character you don't know yet, which is Barnabas. And it was like you haven't settled, you haven't really gotten to know anybody yet. You haven't really formed a bond with anybody yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess uh, maybe the movie tr- figured, who cares? You mean uh, the House of Dark Shadows, the first one or the Burton? You know, I would like to see that one. I haven't, I don't think I've, all I know is, is that Carolyn dies and that makes me mad. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. House of Dark Shadows is, is grim. Um, it's, uh, it's the Barnabas story, you know, but, you know, minus Dracula, right? <laughs> it's yeah. It's Barnabas is, uh, is much um, more evil. Yeah. There's no Sarah. There's no, sh- there, the shred of conscience is, you know, maybe it's, a, it's maybe a much smaller shred, maybe, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, no, it's very, uh, it's, it's, I, I, I really like it. Um, it's yeah. very much a horror movie in the in the sort of style of, of say a, a hammer film you know uh yeah. and um i mean the, the show is you know it's gothic horror in the show too but barnabas there barnabas is more multifaceted in the show especially as it goes along and you uh, you know the character develops throughout the series whereas house of dark shadows is barnabas is a monster you know through and through there's no redemption there for <laughs> for Barnabas, you know, but it's, 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 I enjoyed the movie. I, 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 I like it. Some fans dislike it. Some fans love it. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but today we're going to actually not talk as much, uh-huh. well, of course, we're going to talk about Barnabas for sure, but not, <laughs> but we're going to focus uh, in today's episode on uh, the f- uh, first part of the pre-Barnabas storyline. Um, you know, we could break, the, uh, typically I break the, the pre-Barnabas storyline into two halves is there's the first half and then there's the Laura, the Phoenix half of the pre-Barnabas storyline. This uh, part of it though focuses on Vic, the arrival of Victoria Winters and the search for her parentage, uh, the uh, revenge of Burke Devlin, 
and the uh, death of Bill Malloy, which is, I suppose, is tied into the Burke Devlin storyline as well. Uh, that's you know kind of connected to, to that. Um, and the the whole premise for Dark Shadows when it started was you know Dan famously you know Dan Curtis had this dream, uh, you know he had a dream uh, one night where uh, a dark haired young woman was on a train heading to uh, a remote New England town to serve as a governess at this large brooding mansion uh, overlooking the ocean. And that was that was the dream he had. So he became obsessed with this dream and pitched it to, he you know, met with an, an ABC executive and he pitched the show as a nighttime uh, series, a suspense series in the, at night. And they wanted to do it as a daytime series instead. Uh, and uh, Curtis just you know, he agreed to it. And so they promoted the, the show as daytime television's first ongoing suspense series. Uh, and the commercials, you know, it was Orson Welles-esque announcer, you know, talking about the terror at, at Collins House. And Curtis got Art Wallace involved, a uh, writer. Uh, writer. Uh, he wanted him to produce the show initially. Wallace declined and suggested that Robert Costello produce the show. Art Wallace wrote uh, the series Bible and wrote about the first maybe, I don't know, 60 to 80 episodes in in that range, uh, him and Francis Swan, I believe. Uh, And that story Bible uh, was called Shadows on the Wall. That was one of the proposed titles for the series, as well as actually uh, Curtis suggested Terror Terror at Collinwood, which is the name of this podcast. That's where that came from. And in that story Bible, you get a lot of what we did see in that pre-Barnabas storyline. Of course, it went in different directions in the story Bible, et cetera. But essentially you get Wallace used as the basis for Dark Shadows, uh, his, um, he did a, it was an anthology series in the 50s and uh, called uh, Television Playhouse. That's what it was in 1957. He wrote a, a, an episode of that anthology series called The House. And in that story, there is a, a woman who lives in a, you know, house on, on, on an estate in uh, a New England town and her husband disappeared. He was a fisherman, a seaman, uh, disappeared mysteriously and she's living in this remote house and part of the that initial storyline came from that and then part of it was of course it was Jane Eyre uh, Charlotte Bronte you know you the, the young governess coming to this to this brooding mansion and they they will revisit Jane Eyre uh, several times in in the series uh, especially during 1897 you'll see some direct you know lifts from from Jane Eyre there uh, and then of course Burke Devlin is the Count of Monte Cristo uh, the, this man was wrongfully imprisoned and, and, and when he leaves he amasses a fortune and attempts to get his revenge and so they have, in effect, I think Burke is even reading the Count of Monte Cristo in one one scene in those episodes. And then there's also a film called The Uninvited, uh, which was released in 1944. It was a, a horror movie uh, about a brother and sister who buy this uh, an old mansion on a cliff overlooking the ocean, and the mansion is haunted by this sad. Uh, the spirit of this woman, the sad spirit. She killed. She died. You know, going over the cliff. So they're they're pulling from these sort of existing story. I mean, the Dark Shadows. This is Dark Shadows did this all through its run. They classic uh, gothic horror stories on the shelf here, and gothic romance, and kind of pull pull some some stuff from. But these, of course, are, are archetypal ideas that they they sort of worked in in terms of the gothic, uh, right? So yeah. We went into the to this and the, our initial storyline. We went in as well. Let's start with Victoria Winters here. Um, so she is our protagonist in the show. Victoria Winters, played by Alexandra Moltke, and she's searching for her 
parent and she's trying to find out so she's her she's been she's in the Hammond foundling home she's been receiving $50 a month with the with, she doesn't know who it's from from Bangor Maine uh from Bangor Maine you get she's getting these this $50 a month so she's connecting it to Collinwood so she comes to this house and when when she's on the train at the train station she meets this other stranger Burke Devlin who's also you know you don't know much about Burke like you pointed out so what was what was your initial sort of reaction to this sort of situation here with Victoria Winters well I I, I definitely I I saw the the um the gothic quality of the of the of the story and the what really probably it struck to me the mo- most was I, I had just been reading uh, Shirley Jackson's The House the uh, oh, the House yes. yeah and particularly the scene where she's talking to the waitress mm-hmm. so then when we had the scene with um with uh, Maggie that mm-hmm. really the I think it was something about how mundane it all seemed yet you knew something really sinister and powerful was ahead of this girl that's about in in um you know in the case of uh uh at this point i suppose in the, in the case of, of uh, vicky it's nothing uh as supernatural as yet uh it's just secrets but she wants to find out about her home and her origin you know her origin um and i think that uh mystery was immediately enticing and you mm-hmm. and you knew that there had to be uh an answer to it which uh, I, I feel is probably not getting closer the further I get into the show. Um, I have ba- I have some bad news for you. Yeah, uh, I I, uh, I mean I I think the I I I I really have to say it's interesting as I've watched more of the show. I didn't realize how unique some things were. Like Maggie is completely different in her first appearance. Um, it's not all. It's not even all just the wig they put her in. <laughs> she she. Uh, She's she's more like Sam. She sounds weird, world weary, like Sam, her father, mm-hmm. later does. Yeah, they wanted her to be a, a young Eve Arden, and in, in her first, you know, it, when they hired her. But the, you know, she, Catherine Lee Scott, she's fantastic. She's a fantastic actress, but she, I think, her genuine kind of sweetness was coming through, and so I think they probably told her, well, let let's go in that direction with the character instead, you know. I thought it was actually a, a nice contrast that she mm-hmm. had a world. She did feel world weary. She felt she felt credible as this some somebody who, I mean, it's just ironic that Victoria mm-hmm. has come from New York and here this this girl in the in this small town. It sounds like she's the one who's been around, been out and seen the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, right, and right. Victoria, yeah. It sounds like the little girl that's you know. I just came to the big house to work. You know, sure. and, you know. and and Maggie kind of serves also as the sort of the voice of the of Collinsport in a way too. Like stay away from that house. You know, there she tells her not to go not to go to the house and uh, that she'd see things that'll. Send her all the way back to New York and all this, yeah. But she couldn't quite. She couldn't help but comfort her at the end. She, she, mm-hmm. was, she, she, she said, "She asked, are you?" You know, or Vic, Vicky asked, "Are you? Did you really mean all that stuff?" And she goes, "No, honey, I was just <laughs> just yeah. having having a fit. You, you'll have a good time, you know." <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and and uh, I mean, I thought that kind of worked. I, I maybe they had something richer in mind, but. Um, mm-hmm. I and I mean she did have a girl she became the girl next door as they went mm-hmm. along but I actually liked the edgier Maggie uh enough that I missed her once mm-hmm. it became clear that they were going to I think probably I got a little angry with Sam I thought he was uh mm-hmm. 
a bit um i don't i don't know quite what it is about him but i just thought it was funny when we did finally get into the 1795 storyline the actor finally felt at home with the way he wanted to deliver his lines because yeah. <laughs> he always sounded really rich for for the character of this you know drunken r- artist right right and he he, he uh he uh, played you know david ford played uh john hancock actually in 1776 in the, in the uh-huh. musical yeah yeah so he definitely has that very rich <laughs> yeah he- Voice to oh, absolutely so definitely uh, he he also did have a, a difficult time with uh, his lines as, as an actor. Oh, it's, I mean, with a daily uh, show, like I mean, it was difficult for okay. I think, uh, and he had a tough time with the teleprompter to the point where. I don't want to spoil anything for for you, but he, there's there's an incident will take place that will they'll try to kind of bring in to help cover the fact that he's reading from the teleprompter, but it does doesn't really help. Uh, but he's I mean I, I love Sam, but he's definitely. Um, you know, he's Sam Evans is very troubled, you know, when we, we come into the series. And it's funny because if you go into the series, as most people did in the syndicated episodes, and even when it was very popular in the, in the 60s, a lot of people kind of jumped in post Barnabas. Um, Sam was a very different character, too, uh, because prior to um revealing that he witnessed the the accident that led to uh, Burke going to, to prison and being framed for, for what Roger did. Sam was paid off by Roger to not speak of that. So Sam is a very tormented character in those um, well, it was, early it, episodes. Yeah. It wasn't, I think, just that he, I mean, I, I, I did struggle with this because I felt like the, the answers were felt a little bit mundane for how much drama some of the things had, <laughs> had been had gone through i guess because i'm thinking okay burke devlin spent five years in jail and now he's a he's been out for five more and he's rich <laughs> i mean can you really drink yourself into a stupor over over how wronged but the thing is is that he was he knew burke as a boy or at least mm-hmm. he'd he'd he had, uh, I think you're supposed to feel, it was maybe a little awkward where he's saying, I used to pose for his model for him as a boy. And it's like, what was going on? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, just that relationship seems odd, you know, um, but I think you're, you're see, supposed to see it because it was a more innocent time that this was like a surrogate son to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's it, definitely. Yeah. And he betrayed him. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I think I was, I don't want to break, jump ahead to Laura, but everything about that accident was so crucial to everything that happened for the first 200 episodes, really. I mean, it informed every, just about every storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it never seemed like it, 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 we had, we went through like, what was it two episodes where they get, where they force Sam to tell Vicky, mm-hmm. Vicky and, and then Maggie force him to tell them what, what had happened. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being like, still leaves a lot of questions for me. Like I didn't quite pick up on what Laura was doing there. Was she trying to get Roger to notice her and Burke was trying to get her to notice him? Were they fighting over Laura? In which case, how was marrying Roger paying her off exactly? I mean, I, it, it, it there was a lot about that that we never really got because we never really met the real Laura. Right, right. We never I, really got to, you know, we never got to find out exactly what um, for such an important event, I guess it felt like it never, never decided about certain things. We, I, I mean, it's it's definitely uh, mentioned, you know, that Laura was 
her personality completely changed when she came back, when she came back. And of course we know she's reborn in, right. you know, in the flames, but she, it, we get the sense that she's a very kind of uh, unstable person and very, uh, I could see her kind of playing them against each other, even in the way, based on the way they, they described her personality prior mm-hmm to that um you know and uh drinking and and kind of partying and 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 that sort of thing so i i don't know uh we never see laura we like you say you know we never see what laura was like prior to her rebirth you know well i i think Mm -hmm. they they kind of avoided um making any of the characters too naughty if that Mm -hmm. i mean like what you and i have said it's like okay clearly Vicky has to be Elizabeth's daughter, you know. What I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I don't know how because she couldn't have been born in wedlock. Uh, she must, mm-hmm. maybe she was the child of rape. Um, you know, there, there was some kind of dark story there they did not choose to to tell. And I'm pretty sure uh, David is Burke's son. <laughs> well, they they definitely hint at that pretty pretty strongly. Yeah. I'm I'm going to go against that because I I think he is he is definitely is Roger's son because. <laughs> I'm basing that. Well, I mean, you had a theory. Oh, I believe that I Burke, believe Burke is a Collins. <laughs> so. That Burke, yeah, your theory is that Burke is a Collins, which is really interesting too. Um, what, 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 like, what, explain your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm curious because that's 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 a new one uh, for me because uh, Vicky, yeah, I mean, there's Vicky has to be uh, a Collins. Um, uh, originally in the in the in the pile uh, or in the story bible, she was going to be they were going to reveal that she was Paul Stoddard's daughter. And they did hint at the, the B Hanscomb, remember the Betty Hanscomb, the portrait of Betty Hanscomb that looked mm-hmm. just like Vicky. And uh, she was going to turn out she was the daughter of the butler Hanscomb, which they also hint, talk about him when, yes. when she goes to the Garner's office. He's like, oh, there was a butler named Hanscomb. Yeah. Right. That's and the, <laughs> the idea was going to be that Paul Stoddard had an affair with uh, Betty Hanscomb and that Victoria was born from from that affair. And that after Elizabeth killed, thought she killed Paul, that she was felt so much guilt. She found out about Victoria that that same night that she felt obligated to take care of her. And of course, as the show went on, when after the cast Alexandra Moltke, they noticed she bore some resemblance to Joan Bennett with the mm-hmm. particularly with the dark hair, you know, and the fair skin. And they said, well, they started thinking along the lines of, oh, she's Elizabeth's daughter. So they were thinking about, I think Ron Sprout was going to start bringing that back in uh, and kind of try to resolve that, but it, they never did. Uh, in the, they didn't, there are these audio dramas with big finish. And one of them, the, well, the thing that kicked that off was Return to Collinwood, which was written by uh, David Selby's son, Jameson Selby. And in that it is revealed that uh, Victoria is Elizabeth's daughter. Now, I personally, I don't consider those a hundred percent canon. I, I mean, they're official, they're officially licensed you know, stories, I think of them in the same way that I think of like House and Night of Dark Shadows or the the Marilyn Ross novelizations, you know, they're, they're sort of a parallel time version. But regardless, uh, Vicky has to be the, the daughter. I think she, I think most people kind of feel the same way that she, she needs to be Liz's daughter. But what about Burke? Like, why, why, why do you feel Burke is a Collins? So I'm trying to remember what got me started thinking that I, I, 
I I think I felt that the 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 drama about um, just how much he really hated the Collinses. There was something about that that felt like he was rejected by them, and I, I'm sure he was, but. Um, somehow like it was a deeper rivalry. Uh, I don't think he would have known that he was a Collins though. It would have been like, uh, if, I mean, the most thing that makes the most sense would be he's some sort of cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I don't know that they had any cousins. Uh, you know, the Collinses are very, have a fairly small um, brood ultimately in 1960s. I mean, they're, that's the thing that gets lost, I think, in the later episodes is that Collins port is kind of on its way out it's it's yeah. a, like a ghost town right they don't they never stop the trains there the one lady's telling vicky you know no one comes here you know, <laughs> they, right. you know they, they're stopping just for you you and this one other guy you know mm-hmm. um and i i think that that uh that sense that the that this was something that was on decline was just a just something that kind of got got mm-hmm. uh, slowly bled out of it, you know, just, it became less important. It's not so much that it, you know, it, 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 they forgot about it as they just had other stuff they were doing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, and, and in the true Gothic sense, you know, that the town itself is a metaphor, you know, for the Collins family themselves, their, that decline, that sort of the, the, the fall of the house of Usher, you know, feeling where, yes. where there's, you know, it's kind of waning and, and dying out just as the town itself is, you know, um, uh, as a reflection of the, of the Collins family, uh, Sure. Um, Carolyn, the, Carolyn introduced that was her first line to to Vicky is welcome to the House of Us. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it actually in a couple of those early episodes they do they reference House uh, the Fall of the House of Usher and they reference Dracula too uh, in 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 in, uh, in those early episodes. Now you bring up Carolyn. I know she's one of your favorite characters. So what what is it about Carolyn that you really like? Um, oh, I should just say about uh, uh, Burke. I think also mm-hmm. this sent the tradition of uh, of the returning heir that was wrongfully kind of the Isaac and Ishmael kind of thing. You know, I mm-hmm. I want what's properly mine. I've been sheeted and out of something that should be mine. And he wanted Collins Wood itself too. Yes, yes, which is something yeah. they forgot later. Yeah. Um, or I shouldn't say forget. They they gave that up. <laughs> well, yeah, Burke for Burke kind of let go of that when he fell in love with Vicky. I think he. They soften the character, like that that desire for revenge, kind of that boiling sort of anger sort of subsided, you know, and he respected Elizabeth. And you could tell even he did, did. you know, despite his feelings about Roger, he respected Elizabeth. And and that grows as he becomes closer to Vicky as well. Right. I think he liked all of them. That was the thing. Mm -hmm. He only had a problem with Roger. Uh, So it was like he kept talking about taking down the Collinses, but that was just it's like you don't really want to take down the Collinses. You want to take down Roger. Roger. Yeah. And and in the first episode, that was uh, Elizabeth said to Roger, you're the only problem here. Yeah. And that's exactly (laughs) what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of shocking, I think, for people, too, when they see Roger and David, too, uh, in those early episodes. I mean, David is proof you don't need the supernatural uh, to have a monster show. David is a psychopath, you know, that talk about the, the disturbed child who's, you know, murderous, you know, he's, he has a murderous streak in the, in those shows. Um, but I, I want, I want to get to David for sure and Roger and Elizabeth, but uh, Carolyn, let's talk about Carolyn because I know you're, she's a, she's a favorite of yours. She really is. I, I, I love, um, I, I think the actress has a lot of uh, wit to her. Nancy Barrett. Yeah, yeah. She's fantastic. She, yeah. She, she brings out um, and she's doing it with very, I mean, they did give her a lot of good lines, but I, I felt like 
um, as they went along, they just didn't use her as much. And they Mm -hmm. weren't, in a way, that was actually hurting the character because she was so hip. This is somebody who should probably have been away at school and Mm -hmm. didn't want to become shut in like her mother and yet somehow couldn't abandon her mother either. So she had a she had a compelling for me, there was pathos there. There was a gravitas to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one thing I think was probably not very likable was that she kind of was immediately smitten by Burke and, mm-hmm. you know, and was throwing, a, I, I don't, I mean, I don't blame her. Joe was boring, but, you know, <laughs> and, and what's more, poor Joe, Joe. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, poor Joe indeed, when they switched to color, his eyes were so blue. I was like, what the heck? Um, and, and dark hair, he suddenly was blonde and blue eyed. What happened? Um, the, uh, the thing, I think the fact that they said that Joe was mommy's choice for Carolyn, right. Why she did not want Joe. No. (laughs) Yeah. Best of worst, you know, Carolyn is, uh, is perpetually drawn and this becomes a a recurring character trait, character trait for Carolyn. She's drawn to the, you know, the most dangerous character in the room. She seems to be, you know, it starts with Burke, even though he isn't supernatural, but Carolyn, for some reason, it's, she's like, every time there's a, 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 character who comes into the show and is it turns out there there's there are some type of monster or supernatural being carolyn seems to be attracted to them <laughs> it became kind of a recurring thing almost in the show i don't know if they intended to do that or if it just turned out that way but i i, I felt like they changed their minds a couple of times like that was her first reaction to jason mcguire and then mm-hmm. like two episodes later she's that man's a rat or something i was like what happened here uh, you know you know she she finally i was i was glad i didn't want her to be you know in, interested in him um and mm-hmm. i was never terribly happy with her being interested in burke because again secretly mm-hmm. her uncle or cousin I'm, I'm awkward. <laughs> but, um, that, well if, Vic, if vicky is a collins yeah. then the, that problem is still present well, but... <laughs> I, wasn't too, I wasn't too keen on him being with vicky either really i i mm-hmm. i um i i I don't think I had. I don't think I was looking at Burke being anybody's love interest. I, I guess mm-hmm. that's what he'd have to be in this in the story. But oh, with um, with her interest in Burke, she she seemed completely un- unrealistically oblivious to the fact mm-hmm. that he wanted to take out her uncle Roger, who she was devoted to. I thought maybe yes. she would be annoyed with her uncle Roger, but she wasn't. She actually defended him against something Vicky said at one point that was like, oh, you really love him, but you think that Burke is an okay guy to be, maybe part of it was her thinking she can tame this guy who wants to hurt her family and, you know, that'll show her power or something. I don't know. But uh, I I, I just... uh, Yeah. (laughs) I I think Carolyn, Carolyn, I mean, growing up in that house is troubled to some extent, you know, there. Oh yeah. Her story about Randy, the goat, the ghost. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Might've been a ghost. I don't know. The same sweater. I mean, maybe it was just poor. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, there's, there's definitely evidence that they've all experienced strange things that they sort of brush under the rug. Uh, And in fact, I think Roger at one point even says that, that, that very thing to Elizabeth that, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, you know, as well as I do, you know, that we've, We've both seen things that we can't explain in this house, you know, so Mm. I think there and being in that house and that environment, that sort of oppressive environment must affect a a person. But underneath that, I think there is a very 
earnest, sincere, and kind-hearted person. And Carolyn, in many ways, in, in some ways, she be, does become the sort of the heart of, of the show. Uh, you could argue that with, with you know, Maggie is as well. But, um, you know, I think especially when you see the 1995 storyline and how what happened to Carolyn is, you know, it's sad, but it's it's like that's they picked that character for a reason to to get that across to to the viewer and i think uh, and you see when you know when um when elizabeth uh, like i'm jumping ahead to laura but when elizabeth is you know, placed into that sort of comatose state by laura she puts carolyn in charge of of collinwood and the collins you know not roger carolyn not roger carolyn you know and she she chooses carolyn you know for for a reason um because she knows what carolyn is is capable of i think you know yeah. so so, yeah. um, so, and, and, and Nancy Barrett is, as you point out, she's, she's a great actress. She'll, she'll play some really great roles too in the show. In addition to Carolyn and the show, you're watching her as Millicent right now. And she's fun to watch. And when, she, when she came in as Millicent and she has this high pitched laugh, I was like, oh, the actress, you know, she, man, Nancy Barrett is making a real comment on what they're doing. With yes. Her. Yeah. <laughs> I can play the stupid airhead if the you stu- want. Yes. You know? The fragile, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Like a bird almost. (laughs) Oh, I was, I was so glad when they didn't, um, you know, when they, they, they made a big thing about she was self-destructive because of the Jason McGuire thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mostly because she could tell that her mother was not telling her something and she didn't really know how to reach her because her mother, Elizabeth doesn't, Mm -hmm. if she doesn't want to be reached, she's not going to be reached. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, when it came out that I killed Paul, uh, she was like, he, she killed my father. And I was like, oh no, they're not going to have her go into like some kind of psycho trance and traumatized about this. Are they? I mean, I, I, I feel like she's beyond being that, you know, that vulnerable or that fragile. Uh, and, and then immediately the next episode she comes in and she's, you know, she, she actually says it doesn't matter before she finds out that in fact, her mother didn't do, you know, right. again, they had to make sure that Elizabeth had to be a saint at all times. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they, uh, uh, she is quite, that the times I felt like Elizabeth was made to be a little too saintly for how much she apparently had to do mm-hmm. to keep the family afloat. Uh, but um, I do think actually a, the, 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 a show about young Carolyn or a show about young Roger and Elizabeth would be very interesting to see as a, with all the time travel. I'm sorry. Oh, absolutely. I wish they, I, I, I often wish they had done a, a story that was set, you know, in, in the thirties or something where you see them when they're younger, you know, uh, I think that would have been really sensational if, if they had done that. Now, speaking of Elizabeth and Roger, let's talk a little bit about them. Elizabeth, of course, <laughs> played by the Hollywood legend, Joan Bennett, which was a huge deal for, you know, a daytime TV show to bring in Joan Bennett as a uh, as a, a lead for for the series, um, and it's interesting, you know, it's like you watch those early episodes, and in addition to having sort of Joan Bennett as your as your star of your show, um, there were a lot of exterior shots that they did in those early episodes, which was also unheard of in uh, daytime television back then, like doing you know, shots of the cliffs and the and the ocean, and oh. going out into the town and and showing you know the exterior shots of the of the blue whale and uh, Sam Evans' cottage and uh, Maggie Evans' cottage and uh, the cannery and Roger walking in into the cannery, things like that. Yeah, like, I like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I missed <laughs> that stuff when when they did go to go to color. Um, you know, we we lost uh, the exterior, you know, filmed footage, and I thought that was a, that was really uh-huh. cool to see that. Definitely. Um, so Joan Bennett, uh, of course, as Elizabeth Collins, starred 
the matriarch of the of the family. Uh, all the characters who live at Collinwood are troubled to some to some extent. So of course Elizabeth is, you know. There's a sadness about her at, at all times. And I, I thought um, Joan Bennett was so great at having that presence. You know, she she just had that without even saying a line, just her standing there. Just, she conveyed that sort of you know, a regal sort of quality. And as we go along. Mm-hmm. You know, we we find out what happened with Paul Stoddard, as we as we talked about, and uh, and uh, we find out why she uh, she is that way. Um, what did you think of Elizabeth as a character? I'm, I I like her. I mm-hmm. I think um, I kind of I'm under the impression that, and I don't know if we ever get to it. I, I get the impression her parents died when she was young. Both her and her mm-hmm. were young. Mm-hmm. That's why they might not have been around to discourage Paul Stoddard. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't gotten, I mean, I, it didn't get mentioned exactly, or if it did, I don't remember. Their, exactly. their father is Jameson, who we will meet in 1897 as a child, uh, played by David Hennessy. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure when, I wasn't sure if, if uh, it, 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 what the circumstances were when she married Paul, if mm-hmm. uh, there's been no mention so far of, of her parents. So I don't, you know, I, as of, mm-hmm. as of say the middle of the, the 1795 arc, obviously everything's been paused. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You'll you'll hear a little bit more, but it's very little. Like they're not they're definitely I don't recall them ever talking about their mother. Um, they do mention their father again later, but uh, um, there isn't a whole lot. But you will learn a lot more about Paul Starter. Def- there will be more Paul Starter. Uh, yeah, story stuff. Up. Well, they they gave just like when Burke was finally killed off. Uh, mm-hmm. They they you know they gave him the most soap opera ending. Yeah, his plane went down. We found these bodies unrecognizable. He must be dead. Sure. <laughs> yeah. set, which opens the door to right. of course you know I mentioned the audio dramas. I, I sent you the the yes, uh, thank you. Yes, yes. I, yes. I heard listening. I I I heard the. You know, I know you. <laughs> yeah, and, yes. And, yeah. The, well, there's a, one of the big Finnish audio dramas for, for you know, the listeners who may, may not have heard is called And Red All Over. And uh, it's uh, Mitchell Ryan, the first Burke yes. Devlin, the, you know, the one I think everybody, Anthony George, I thought was good as Jeremiah, but I, I think it was such a big shift when you went from uh, Mitchell Ryan to Anthony George, it was difficult to sort of accept him as, as Burke, uh, but it's Mitch Ryan returning as, as Burke Devlin and it, the, the audio drama canon or not, it gives closure, I think to, to the character. It's an interesting, oh. it's a really interesting uh, story and gives more closure to the character than what we got in the show, uh, the off-screen plane crash. So it's an interesting story and well worth checking out if you if you like the character of, of Burke Devlin and if, as Catherine Lee Scott in it too as as Maggie Evans, uh, which is a great pairing for sure for for that audio drama. Yeah, yeah I, I I didn't think I'd like Burke because I was aware he wasn't a vampire or anything supernatural and and again the more I got about the his revenge plot the 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 less it was like oh this isn't fantastic oh, this is just a car crash yeah but um but I and I think what happened was they when they resolved that storyline, I think they kind of just decided to discard most of the intrigue about him. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of reduced to now your uh, Victoria's love interest. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, and they found a, they found a way to make that useful for the Jeremiah part of it. Yeah. But um, in fairness to Anthony George, he took on the role pretty much right when there was nothing left of, of, of Burke's original I want to get even with the Collinses or, or there wasn't even really 
I think that he'd had a kind of already had a, a scene where he'd had a couple of scenes with Elizabeth where it was clear that they respected each other. Yes. Yep. Um, after he had already kind of expressed a desire to take her out <laughs> to take her down, you know, um, right. He, he, uh, he, he kind of found himself respecting her. And, and uh, I, th- I think that, Gosh, yeah, I, I said it was. It's really funny how so many, so many of the plots at the beginning of the first two hundred episodes, it's all about that you know plot of his to get. It back really to is. Family. It's it's and, very focused on on that. You and know, everything, and everything else is a distraction. Bill Malloy's a distraction. The the car yeah. cra- the uh, Rogers car crash because David disrupted that. That's a, that's a distraction. Oh, the bleeder valve. Yeah, yeah, right. the, yeah. The, the pen is a distraction. Oh, the pen. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. The pen. <laughs> They're all distractions for what isn't even a particularly, you know, complex mystery. You know, it's it's, it's like, I mean, the thing with um, with Jason and Paul was more intricate, I thought. And yet even and, and, and by the time. They resolve that when I kind of think everybody's like, let's get it over with. because <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. This, that storyline, I mean, it was lasted about two. I mean, the, they resolved the the Burke revenge plot shortly before Barnabas came right. on. I mean, it was right before Barnabas came on. So that went on for over 200 episodes of, of Burke, the Burke Devlin revenge plot. And it, like you say, it wasn't that complex of 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 a storyline and, and of course i mean this storyline is uh, it's indicative of what dark shadows i think was as it, when it started when it started out they were going for this sort of suspense and and this revenge plot and the murder mystery with bill malloy and the ratings weren't weren't there for that and that's when dan Curtis said well let's let's make it supernatural you know and then you oh, see your first yeah. When that ghost walked out of the painting in episode 70, it's like, whoa. Right, <laughs> right. And I, we I, are taking this to a new level. <laughs> yes. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to be a, a viewer at that time where you're watching this show and it's, you know, there's a, a house on the hill and they talk about ghosts, but they use them sort of in a metaphorical way and you don't really see them. And then all of a sudden, I think just prior to that, you saw a book open by itself. Yeah. A Collins Family History is open by itself, uh, which was the first hint of that. And then you saw saw Josette's, the ghost of Josette, mm-hmm. come out of the portrait and, you know, sort of dance around the, the columns in this sort of eerie shot at the end of the episode where she's dancing around and the, and the music comes up and then it ends. And it's like, whoa, this is. Uh, and every time they did that, the ratings went up a little bit. So they they put a ghost in and the ratings went up. And of course, Josette became a, a fixture in, in, in the show. And then that led uh, as we, you know, as we went on, Bill Malloy, uh, that was that was kind of tied to the Burke Devlin plot, um, uh, which you know we had Bill Malloy as a character who was uh, very loyal to Elizabeth, and he runs the the Collins fishing fleet. Uh, and I really like that actor, Frank Frank Schofield, as as Bill Malloy. And I kind of wished they had brought him back. At, at least his ghost or or a parallel time counterpart when they go into parallel time uh, parallel okay. bill malloy would have been kind of cool but but yeah so bill malloy uh his murder becomes a, a sort of a big plot point as well uh who killed bill malloy and i think it's not that as far as murder mysteries go i don't think 
I mean, they try to they try to kind of make it look like Roger did it, but I think oh, it's yeah. pretty clear. I don't know if it's just because I had read about the storyline prior to having watched it back in the day, but it seemed pretty clear to me that it was it was Matthew Morgan who was first played by George Mitchell and then played by Thayer David. Yeah, uh, that, was a, that was a surprising recast because they didn't look anything alike. It was no, it was no. Like, what happened? <laughs> I, I would actually, I would say that um, I don't remember if I knew ahead of time or not, but I actually didn't think it was that predictable because okay. Matthew was so um, devoted to Elizabeth as well. It was like, oh, I didn't realize the murderer was just stupid. You know, he, <laughs> he killed the guy that was trying to help her. Right, you know, right. That totally confused <laughs> it because you thought the murderer was actually somebody who, you know, maybe Burke hired somebody to get rid of, I mean. Okay. So, so, so as somebody who came into it without any prior knowledge about, about the the murder, you, you didn't know it was Matthew Morgan. then. I didn't, I mean, I I suspected Matthew, well, eventually I read it. I, before, I think they finally revealed it, but before Mm -hmm. that, I didn't believe it would have been him. Oh, okay. Okay. Clearly Malloy and Matthew were on, were, had the same end game. Okay. So, so did you think it was, did you think, (laughs) did you think it was Roger? Um, Well, I figured it couldn't be because Mm. I, you know, uh, it couldn't be Roger because it was so obvious that Roger was guilty Mm -hmm. um, that, uh, you know, part of me is like, well, you know, it's, that's going to be a red herring. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, and also I didn't really think they would let a member of the family actually be guilty because there weren't that many members of the family. If there were more members of the family, I might have figured mm-hmm. he was more expendable, but <laughs> there really weren't. <laughs> so, of course, I found, you, you You told me that the original plan would have been a dramatic confrontation and he would have he would have been guilty and fallen off Widow's Hill. Oh, it would have been, he would have tried to push Vicky off Widow's Hill um, mm-hmm. and he would have tripped, uh, David would have been there and distracted called out and Vicky would have gotten out of the way as Roger was going to push her and he would have, he would have died. They were going to kill Roger off. But I think Louis Edmonds was such a charming mm-hmm. actor and in, and in real life too, he was a very personable guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the character was fun to watch and they decided yeah. to keep him on the show and they, they, you know, his character went through some changes as well as, uh, especially I think after his son almost burned alive you know and then watching that happen uh he sort of i think they definitely softened the the character of roger he was still pompous but he was not he showed yeah he showed actual concern for david finally after calling my monster all the time which he was actually but yeah um you know uh um i don't know if again trying to retcon it all and say that something to do with the uh, the the Phoenix uh, force or whatever whatever it was <laughs> the Phoenix entity uh, yeah. had maybe had some possessive qualities today because David walks away from his mother emulating herself like you know I thought yeah. it was going to be he was traumatized earlier and now suddenly he was personable and I was like just this kids in reverse <laughs> um, and I think maybe that might have been an, an answer but um, but yeah I didn't want to see Roger go one after it, he was so fun to watch for so long and hmm. you know I initially thought he was I, I think you could see the 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 menace between him and Vicky because they first met on the on the hill um right. mm-hmm. and and there was definitely I mean he was charming and sweet in a way that he you didn't expect him to be after Elizabeth had just told him you're all the problems in Collinwood right um he was really charming and nice to Vicky and then 
all that changes when she mentions this Burke Devlin she met on the train. And sure, yeah, yes, <laughs> was, yeah. You could almost hear the the piano key. Duh. Yeah, like how dare you have coffee with Burke Devlin, you know? And and then oh, the pen, yeah. of course, too. With the when the pen comes yeah. into play, the 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 pen that that was found, uh, you know, on the beach after Bill Malloy was was killed. You know, there's the whole game with you know who has the pen and where's the pen, yeah. and and then Roger That's gets exactly. it and buries it in the, on the beach, and then. He unburies it and they catch him in the act. And it's uh, I, I'm surprised they never released that pen as a as a, you know, merchandise, you know, a collectible, a collectible. I'd, I'd get that pen. <laughs> Maybe it was like it looked like it was made out of like smelted silver or something. It was it was it was um, yeah, like like yeah. like slag metal or something that was coated onto a pen almost. I don't. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was interesting looking right i mean that's- yeah definitely it, it, that 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 pen became as like a sort of a prominent uh, <laughs> you know yeah. character in and of itself in that storyline and i and i guess that maybe that's the way soap operas were back then that they they mm-hmm. would sort of be super melodramatic about something that maybe it's not that special you know it's not like it's a haunted mm-hmm. pen or you know it's it's not like the key to some ancient uh you know civilization of monsters underneath the ca- the house sure just, if, the, if that episode yeah if yeah. that had storyline had taken place you know a year, a year and a half later yeah. then it certainly would have been that because it turns yeah. from <laughs> sort of a semi soap opera semi thriller like you know thriller suspense serial with with hybridized with a soap opera but then it kind of morphs into this really bizarre you know gothic horror dark fantasy Uh time travel show uh which is is great it's just really bonkers when you watch the show over all the episodes in a row which i re i've you know been watching dark shadows for years but i rewatched it during the pandemic and just Uh as you're doing now just watching it all the way through and it's like you see the sort of frenetic crazy pace with which they're changing direction and adding new levels of bizarre storytelling and and characters. You can see where Dan Curtis in these early episodes started to sort of push it in that direction. You know, when when Matthew Morgan takes Vicky uh, prisoner in the in the old house and you know you see the well you had seen the ghost of bill Mo- when when david locked vicky in the in the yes, <laughs> in the abandoned wing of collinwood and left her there uh to to her fate and you see the, the ghost of bill malloy dripping with seaweed uh singing well, you know what can you do with a drunken sailor uh you start yeah. to see Oh, oh, I forgot they did. I keep thinking of London Bridges Falling Down song. Yes, they Sarah, did. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, my my current theory is that uh, Vicky is the modern Sarah. You know, everybody else has a doppelganger, but I'm thinking Vicky might actually be adult Sarah in terms of there's no there's no yeah. current Sarah anywhere else. Sure. Yeah. Which is it's kind of creepy if you're considering Barnabas's you know, a tr- a drawn to her. <laughs> but, that's, but that, that's why I'm thinking, oh, of course he's been, he has no idea. This is what, because yeah. clearly, yeah. like you said, Maggie, Maggie is Josette. They keep, they, mm-hmm. they, they, they decided to, to really uh, double down on, despite what they set up initially. Um, mm-hmm. Although, like you said, they brought up, uh, 
uh, was it comb, hard comb, uh, the, the, the other hands comb, uh, yeah, yeah, hands comb. they brought, mm-hmm. they, 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 they dangled that plot thread, never took it anywhere. And maybe there was mm-hmm. going to be a connection there, but, but yeah, I, 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 in back of my head, that's why we're not seeing anybody who looks like Sarah because that's Vicky. <laughs> like she's the reincarnation of, of Sarah. Like in, in yeah. when she was a child, maybe she looked exactly like, like Sarah. That's right. an interesting they the, theory. Yeah. They even had the same hair color, at least in one sure. of the, in one of the colored episodes, you know, yeah. um, um, but, uh, which is weird because I thought of Vicky as having black hair, but then in mm-hmm. a couple of shots, it was looked red, but, mm-hmm. um, or Auburn, I guess. Um, yeah. but, yeah. uh, but the, um, yeah, I, I, I think that I'm sorry. <laughs> now I'm getting. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. Um, but, no, we uh, were we were talking about um, when Matthew Morgan is yeah. uh, has Vicky. He's holding Vicky prisoner, and the ghosts the ghosts come out of basically out of everywhere in the old house. The ghosts of the widows, Josette's yeah. ghost, Bill Malloy's ghost. They all Go to the rescues. <laughs> they, yeah, they all sort of converge there and i mean there's it it turn i think at that point that's when it turns into a gothic horror show it goes from a sort of a gothic romance thriller to gothic horror show because yeah they they do the ghosts kill bill malloy or they scare him to death you know there that's it's uh you know and they find uh not bill malloy the matthew morgan rather they find matthew morgan they say his face is you know contorted and 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 horror it's a really compelling i think scene to watch and it's a it's a sort of a i think that's a pivotal scene in dark shadows because that's you and you can see dan curtis's stamp all over that it's like let's let's have the ghosts kill this guy you know um and uh i i think rooting for it by then because sure because he, he, yeah, he he's terrorized Vicky. unhinged he's yeah he's completely unhinged and it would have been interesting to see george mitchell the original matthew morgan i don't i don't know if he would have had the same because Thayer David is so physically imposing, I, I wonder how George Mitchell would have played that role. Because he seemed, you know, very irritable and 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 you know, he had a. It's funny he had that New England, you know, the main, uh, you know, accent. I, uh, you know, I can't get there from here. You know, that kind of. Yeah. And ironically, it's it, uh, uh, Thayer David is a New England or native New Englander. He's from Massachusetts, I believe. Um, but uh, as am I. But um, <laughs> George Mitchell had that real you know have very strong main accent uh that he was putting on and and i i mean i don't know i would have been interested to see him play the unhinged version of matthew morgan the matthew morgan who's completely snapped you know and well, i mm-hmm. yeah i mean well like i said how there's a lot of mundane mixed in with all this supernatural and in that way i think that thayer probably had uh, he had something was a much more an otherworldly menace to him even mm-hmm. though he was not the smartest villain mm-hmm. in our in, in the arsenal he 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 had he was channeling not he wasn't just grouchy like like um, mm-hmm. it was uh, you know he 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 wasn't just a a grumpy loner that i i didn't i didn't think the other uh, mitchell this is uh, george um, mitchell yeah george mitchell i didn't think he was threat particularly threatening obnoxious annoying kind of a kind of a bore you know I, okay yeah. those things but i didn't think of him as somebody to be worried about and maybe that actually did color why i didn't see matthew as the problem later although i definitely knew the actor thayer uh had played villains very well um he oh, killed yeah. that he killed that 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 uh, duck in in sent journey to the Spanish. yes <laughs> never gonna forgive him for that <laughs> um you know <laughs> 
I mean, Thayer David is, I love Thayer David. He is, yeah. he is, he come, he, I mean, he, pl- I think he ends up playing more characters in Dark Shadows than any other actor. Maybe he's tied with Nancy Barrett or maybe, I think maybe she did one less than he did, or they might be tied, but Thayer David plays of just a variety of fascinating and strange characters throughout the run of the series. Uh, you're, you're watching him as Ben right now, who's like the good guy version of Matthew Morgan, and, kind of. Yeah. It's like Matthew Morgan with a heart, you know. And his name is Stokes here. So I didn't realize they set up him him being the, the, the ancestor of, or relative, of Professor Stokes. Yeah, he's his ancestor. Stokes, yeah. To Matthew. So I, yeah. I, that's kind of an interesting switch, too, because <laughs> if you're watching it, you're thinking this is the ancestor of Matthew, you know, the first mm-hmm. character he played. And now mm-hmm. it's not. It's setting up future characters. So that's right. Kind of- and and his, you know, descendant, Ben's descendant, of course, is very you know, highly educated, you know, yeah, the opposite uh, of- <laughs> ex- expert on the occult, you know, so. I'm going to make sure my children and progeny have some standards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and of course, Stokes will become sort, he's sort of the, the uh, ersatz Van Helsing of the show. I think I, I referred to him as because he is he's the in the sense that he's the occult expert. He's the he's the character they go to when they there's some you know mysterious symbol or or exorcism that needs to be performed or or something like that. So I lo- I love Professor Stokes, um and and Ben need, too. You can see the need for that when um with some of the characters they've had up to now they frequently get killed off mm-hmm. like uh, Guthrie Doctor Guthrie and oh yes and, yeah uh, Dr. he was Woodward. great yeah Woodward, oh Doctor yeah, Woodard yeah yeah I, I I was kind of mixed on Woodward though because um. He, uh, they, they changed, they changed actors right at a crucial moment. For yes. The yeah. So that yeah. it was almost like, so they killed him off because they couldn't keep the actor. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, this, this new guy is making mistakes left and right. Right. And, and I think, I think they were, they would have, I, I suspect they were going to kill him off, kill him at, off. That, at that point. Anyway, I mean, uh, it was Robert Garinger was the original actor. He wouldn't, uh, it was a strike, you know, and he, he wouldn't across the, the picket line. So they had to hire another actor, but yeah, they got Peter Turgeon who uh, definitely very different portrayal yeah. of, of the was, character. It was like going from Tony Randall to Fred Mertz. It was like, what? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's an interesting, I think it was, it was the Collinsport Historical Society and their Dark Shadows Day book did a write-up of sort of when Peter Turgeon takes over. And it's a, it was an interesting take on, on the character of Dr. Woodard, because at that point he's learned so much mm. that he's now become paranoid and wearing this trench coat and and he he knows more than any human should know about the the other side you know so he's he's changed as a character which is it's interesting you know uh outside of just you know the physical differences in the character but his actual personality has gone through sort of an alteration because of the things that he's learned uh up to that point so that, that I thought that was an interesting uh take on on that but uh, just getting back to, um, <laughs> oh no no that's okay no I love going tangents. down the stairwell <laughs> the magic stairwell through time here yes yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh no not at all actually the stairway through time is going to come up a little bit later because there's something else i want to i wanted to talk about but um let's uh the la- i think the last character we haven't really touched on is, here is oh we didn't really talk a bunch about joe uh, but uh you know joe haskell who i i loved joe uh 
when he, Maggie and I love the combination of Maggie and Joe. I did not like Carolyn and Joe as a couple at all, uh, but I do love Maggie uh, and Joe as a couple. They're just sweet, really sweet. I don't know. I, I really like them as a couple. And Joe, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's really sad to see what happens to their relationship due to the supernatural and outside factors in in the series where the show kind of shifts into in that direction. And you do kind of lose when we, you know, later on, uh, I think, especially when Barnabas shows up and he becomes the star of the show, you do kind of lose the, the sort of the moral compass sort of starts spinning. There's no, there are no more like, you know, the heroes of the show are all murderers at that point. I, I mean, I think that's why they don't let them learn about Barnabas. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They, you know, yeah. I, I keep getting confused that they don't know. I keep forgetting, mm-hmm. especially in the time travel thing. I keep forgetting. Mm-hmm. That's right. Vicky doesn't know who he is, uh, you know, yeah. um, but they couldn't let them know because then every, cause he was, I thought initially he was going to avoid eating people. He was just going to kill cattle, but I guess they finally decided no. And people are being attacked in the street, you know, yeah. in, in the woods and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so, yeah, they can't know he's a vampire because then they're complicit. They're complicit with what he's doing. And and yeah. I think that's why, you know, I haven't gotten to the end of, of 1795, but you mentioned that they were setting up David to know, figure out what Barnabas is before that. And they just dropped that later. And I think it's because originally they were going to kill Barnabas off as the hmm. monster. Oh, yeah, they definitely were. After 13 weeks, that was the plan. Right. They were they yeah. were going to stake Barnabas. He was going to kill. Julia was going to die, too. He was going to kill Julia. Uh, and originally, Julia was a male character. Uh, yeah. and they, they, you know, and then they decided they mistyped the name as, instead of Julian. They typed Julia and Curtis saw that. He said, oh, let's make the, the doctor a woman. Um, but they were going to kill her off, too. She was going to kind of be the, the Van Helsing at first and then they were going to kill her off uh, and Barnabas was going to get staked and probably be, maybe be probably, you know, part of it was uh, David being in, in danger at that point. Um, yeah, and then they much and then they just sort of drop it. And my, my theory on that is we saw two instances in the show where Barnabas used his sort of hypnotic influence to mind wipe children two there were two instances uh and it was a uh, Nora Collins in one instance and um the parallel time Daniel Collins and he used his hypnotic gaze to sort of wipe their mind so I'm I'm my sort of I guess fan wank theory is what they call it, like off screen Barnabas got David somehow you know maybe David was so riled up at that point maybe Barnabas couldn't like access him but maybe at that yeah, he did get access to David at some point and I, I wish, erased his mo- memory or something. I wish they could have worked that in just because mm-hmm. the connection between David and Barnabas was actually something that was very. Yeah. I mean, despite how what a monster David was when we first met him, mm-hmm. I wanted to kill that David. I want. You know, <laughs> He's, I want to talk about him next, actually. Uh, yeah. But but, um, but I thought that the the connection between I mean David and Burke was a one of the more touching yes, connections yeah. in the show. And they even gave him a goodbye. Oh, that, yeah. Burke. Heartbreaking. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. When they yeah. when he started talking the way, I was like, uh-oh. Is yeah. Burke about to die? You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and um and then uh, I thought that the connection with Barnabas was one of the things, because they both loved the family history. And I just mm-hmm. thought that was a very strong bond to to have at the heart of the show, mm-hmm. uh, one of the hearts of the show. And, and, um, and then he's talking about killing David. And I felt like, yeah. Hey, hasn't it occurred to you that David's talking to your sister's ghost that you want so much to connect with? He could speak between you. Sure. Uh, have yeah. you thought about maybe he'd keep the secret? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, 
but but like we're saying, if if he knew, then that would mean poor David is aware of a murderer uh, doing, yeah. or at least, I mean, maybe they're not clear about. Does seem to be leaving people alive when he attacks them. I guess maybe he's not. Maybe he's not killing everybody. I mean, he killed Woodward. I mean, he killed. Oh, Barnabas's body count is going to add up quite a bit. Of course, of the think, series. He's, he kills a Barnabas. Oh, kills, kills a lot of people. Jason yeah, too, I forgot. I didn't because, mind him killing Jason. <laughs> oh yeah, Jason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was, <laughs> my friend Erin was watching and she 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 had not, you know, watched the series before. And she kept texting me saying, please tell me that Barnabas kills Jason. I said, well, hang well, on. Uh, yeah. Um, so D- David, yeah. speaking of David, uh, what a what a psychopath. I mean, uh, an ins- I think Roger calls him an incipient psychopath at one point. And that's, that's basically what oh, you're well. getting with, with David Collins. You know, David is, uh, he tries to murder his father by taking the bleeder valve out of his car. He tr- then he tries to plant it on Burke. And then he realizes he actually likes Burke and he gets along with Burke. And then he feels some remorse for that. So at least we see some conscience there on, on David's part, but he doesn't, then he, I think he tries to plant it on Vicky at one point. <laughs> Yeah, no, he does. He's, he's like Angelique. He's an absolute oh, yes. at the beginning. Um, he really is. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe that's where Angelique's been all this time. She was possessing David. There you go. There we go. <laughs> and Angelique and Laura look a little alike. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were going to do that in the 91 series of Angelique and Laura. I think we're going to be the same characters. The painting of, of Laura in the 91 series looked like uh, Lizette Anthony as Angelique. And I think they were going to link the the, the characters there but anyway oh, uh, like fire a lot too yeah yeah <laughs> she uses fire like uh but oh yeah <laughs> but but as 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 far as as david uh i i i i'm not exactly sure when i think the he really changed started to change when vicky finally saw a ghost yes then then she was cool <laughs> yeah he was like oh so they like you so that makes me you're okay now why he would then forget he knew about ghosts when dealing with sarah i don't know Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing there I could figure was that, well, after Laura was gone or the, the Phoenix had gone, he changed. So maybe mm-hmm. part of him and part of who he had been was this other David that was supposed to burn up. And what we're left now is this fairly innocent soul that hadn't anything to do with that. Um, oh, I like that theory. That's, that's a great <laughs> yeah. theory because that is a that is where the character sort of, you know, he does start to change when he finds out Vicky saw a ghost, but but he really changes after the, the incident with, with Laura. And maybe there is, yeah, maybe part of him did kind of burn up from, from, from the sort of metaphysical perspective, I guess, or paranormal perspective, I guess, maybe that, that part of him kind of, did go up in flames, you know, um, and, yeah. and what we were left with was the, was the good, was the pure of David, that the dark side of David evaporated with Laura. I like that theory. That's a great theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah trying, to, trying to make sense of, of, of uh, the, but they did, they, they did sometimes write themselves into a corner. Like oh, I yeah. remember uh, Roger hated um, Guthrie. And didn't want yeah. anything. So you know, I've never for example of hackery I've never heard in my life. Yes. And then they, <laughs> then they tell him, well, he's a parapsychologist. And then it was like, okay, he's already been in a ten. He has nowhere to go. So we go. Well, maybe there's something to all this. You know. <laughs> yes. I don't know. 
<laughs> and then he's the one leading the, the seance at the old house during the costume party. It was, you know, it's like, wait, Roger wants to have a seance. What what's what's happening right now? Roger's the first one to, to scoff at the idea of a seance. <laughs> I, I, mean, you know, I don't have any answers for that one. Roger just had a different drink. That's well. the, the sherry, too much sherry, the claret cup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's funny because they had given us the whole background on on um, the whole backstory we knew already about what happened with the car crash with with uh, Sam mm-hmm. and all that, and it was only when they resolved it, it was many episodes later, not to give us a new surprise, but to have Roger admit, okay, yes, I, I did it. You know? Yeah, yeah, and 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 and, and at that point. Uh, <laughs> We're going to like you disgust me. I'm not going to go after you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's over it at that point. He just wanted to hear it. He's, I just want to, I just wanted to hear you say it, you know, and, right. uh, but I think it's, uh, you know, his involvement with Vicky sort of tempered his, his his desire for, for revenge, but it is kind of anticlimactic after all that time that that's, Oh, okay. That's over. <laughs> they wanted to bury it at that point. They didn't, I mean, because it's sort of like with, I mean, not quite the same. It's sort of like with Barnabas. Their plan was for the guy to, to, to be killed off. And you can see they were writing towards that conclusion. Yeah. But then they didn't want that to be the end. So they had to change things. Mm-hmm. And that meant that the climax that you were headed for no longer Sure. No longer pays off. I was going to say Julia is a character that they they kind of had her tormenting or not not a real word. uh, They had her anguished about Mm -hmm. um, uh, about what was going on and him wanting to Mm -hmm. hurt all these people. I was a little surprised that she was trying to protect uh, Maggie. And well, initially she was a doctor, so she should Mm -hmm. be. But she was kind of villainous in a way so i wasn't expecting her to continue protecting maggie and vicky and david all from barnabas yeah so it was like i know i thought of her as a villain but really she was a very she she was a heroic character in that sense mm-hmm. and i i guess the moral you know compass feeling a little off was that she was still letting him do a lot of bad stuff off screen that we were having an inkling of and she was still kind of courting evil with this right uh experiment that never quite made sense. I never quite understood how how this was going to not end up aging him just like he thought it was going to, you know. Right, right. right. He's like, how old? Of course he's not going to he's not super nice. I don't I don't she had she had confidence. That was her gift. She had the you know they say I give me the confidence of a mediocre man and she had that in spades. You know, she she's like, I am perfectly fine that you know convinced that this will work. And right. Yeah, I'm like wow, you know? D- destined for disaster. Because I mean, yes. and any 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 cure for Barnabas is never going to be permanent. It's always going to end badly. I think it's never because it's a supernatural affliction, and it's uh, and actually George Dicenzo, uh, who I've talked about the connection. We were talking about connect. Well, we both work on Masters of the Universe, uh, the brand. Uh, George Dicenzo, who was the associate producer for Dan Curtis, he would sometimes write back to fans, uh, their fan mail. Uh, and he explained how, you know, Barnabas's affliction is a supernatural affliction. So any cure for Barnabas's curse from a medical perspective is never going to, to last, you know, because, uh, because it's a supernatural uh, affliction, you know? So, uh, and, and it's inter- an interesting idea and they do go there and, you know, there might be temporary periods where 
the curse is, you know, halted or, or paused perhaps. And that comes from uh, house of, um, house of Frankenstein, uh, the, the, no house of yeah. Dracula. Yeah. Uh, yeah. House of Dracula. House they, of Dracula. They, yeah. He, where they try to cure Dracula. Yeah. John Carradine well, as Dracula. It was sort of also in, in, uh, Dracula's daughter too, except I think there yeah. it was psychoanalysis. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, George DiCenzo was, I was going to mention, he, he was the voice of, uh, Hordak in the She-Ra yeah. cartoon, but he was also oh, the yeah. associate okay. producer of Dark Shadow. He went into acting. He was, you know, at, even at that time he went, he wanted to act the other connection I saw was with Masters of the Universe. This is a weird tangent, but Jonathan Frid starred in Oliver Stone's first film, Seizure, horror film. And his wife in the film was played by Christina Pickles, who was the sorceress in, oh. in the 1987 He-Man movie. So there, there's the other connection there. Um <laughs> I'm jumping all over the place, but something that sorry, you're gonna be editing this forever. I'm so no, sorry. Oh, that's okay. No, no, it's my fault. I I was oh, I went I've, I went there, but <laughs> I've totally I'm sorry. I've been like taking us in tangents and stuff and oh, out, no. out of order all time. I love I love tangents, those are great. <laughs> One thing I want to bring up is um in those pre-Barnabas episodes, we get some of the Collins family history. Um, you know, we we hear about, you know, Benjamin Collins and Theodore Collins. Some of the, these portraits that hang in the uh in the drawing room are 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 named and we find out who their names at least. We don't we never find out what their role was in the in the family history really, but we we hear about them. And of course we hear about Jeremiah Collins who, who you know uh built Collinwood. Of course, you know, when we go to 1795, it seems that Joshua built Collin well, I guess they both did because Jer- Jeremiah seemed pretty actively involved at it when it was still being constructed yeah. but uh, Vicky, wasn't it? He, he. yeah uh and of course we also have josette who uh married jeremiah and the, the the sense we get in these early episodes is that you know jeremiah was older middle-aged and uh josette uh threw herself from widow's hill uh in the 1830s you know and, and jeremiah buried her, uh, had her buried, uh, not in the Collins, you know, family tomb, but, uh, you know, away from it. And, uh, there are definitely some very different story elements that were later retconned. And of course, you know, the writers were kind of retconning and making things up a lot of the time as they went along. And then that's the real life explanation. I'm curious, maybe some thoughts about why from a, an in-canon perspective, I love this kind of stuff where you speculate on what, how this works in the storyline. Uh, and I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Eric, or if you, if you've kind of come up with any ideas for that. Well, I, I definitely got the feeling when, when we, when we went back in time to 1795, things are definitely different than I thought they'd be. Uh, mm-hmm. I had always been under the impression that Barnabas was much younger when Sarah was alive. Mm-hmm. Um, probably adding to that, you know, that uh, Vicky reincarnation idea, even though her ghost admittedly is around as uh, just like Josette's ghost is around. And yet we seem to have the idea of a bodily reincarnation as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I think for, for the, for that, the 1830 date, I don't know. I had the same thought too, that it was all happening much later than set the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not it's possible. There is some history, historical, you know, like the, 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 the history that's far enough back that maybe some inaccuracies have made it to the modern time. So they're getting their dates wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume I have not reached the end of the 1795. So I'm not quite sure where we leave some of these characters, uh, what meddling, uh, is possible to have been done by, uh, 
people that, you know, some of the forces that are, you know, existing in this past, you know, maybe they right. started covering their tracks a bit. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I guess it's entirely possible that, uh, that uh, uh, Josette could live until 1833 and then commit suicide. Uh, um, that's uh, you that's know, not likely. That's not, I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen because I'm pretty sure they're going to do it all in this little, little arc here. Um, but I suppose if you, you know, if, 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 uh, like I said, a lot of it uh, feels different when it's abstract. Once mm-hmm. they're actually characters in front of us, all of a sudden things start to change a bit and you have new considerations that, you know, you can't, spent, you know, say their story can't end 30 years later, you know, I mean, sure. you know, that might make sense on paper, it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense if you're, um, so I, I, I guess my big, that being my big cop out with, with the date, in <laughs> is to say that they were not getting all of their facts correct. Uh, I think but, that's part of it. I think part of it is that, um, that they weren't like Joshua, some of them were intentionally putting in incorrect information into the Collins family history to cover up things that happened that they don't want anybody to find out about. So they couldn't have conceivably just made up, well, you know, happy endings for these characters in the Collins family history. They covered uh, up uh, Angelique, didn't they? I mean, because yeah. mm-hmm. she's like, you're married to Barnabas? What? <laughs> Why is that surprising to you? No reason. <laughs> No reason at all. I'm not a time traveler. Yeah, exactly. You start right away. You start. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There, there are things are different. Vicky right away sees, wait, that's not what I was told, you know? So there, there are, we see that there are already things that are, that have been altered uh, intentionally. Then I think there is also. Being there is altering stuff. I'm sure. Exactly. Yeah. Because Barnabas, um, I'm like, there's no way he doesn't know that this is somebody he should know. You know, you know, if, if he'd met her as much as, you know, for her mm-hmm. to be involved with such crucial events in his life. Right. Um, he wouldn't he would be going, you're Vicky Winters, who are Victoria Winters, who I know you wouldn't be. He wouldn't be saying you're Josette's returned, you know. And sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I think I, I think there's clearly some some historical uh Perfunkery, hackery, is that the word? Yeah, hackery. I got that word at least twice, I think, for Roger. Right? Roger and, Roger and uh, Joshua got to say it. I think. Yes. Or, or no, Barnabas, maybe. Barnabas, right. Um, and then we also have, okay, so I, I've mentioned this, you know, when we we're talking a little bit over email, but in Dark Shadows, there is so much time travel centered around Collinwood, um, not only with Vicky in this storyline, but then you have uh, astral time travel with the I Ching and you have the Quentin building this alchemical stairway through time. You know, Quentin is the first Quentin, the, the great uncle of the Quentin that everybody likes, you know, or, you know, there's, there's, there's an older, there older version of Quentin, I guess his, his granduncle builds this staircase through time, metaphy, a metaphysical experiment, he calls it. And he's obsessed with the occult and he builds this, builds this stairway through time. And I think the combination of, uh, of the stairway through time and all the time travel that's happening then tears open a warp into a parallel universe or multiple parallel universes because they start exploring parallel the parallel time bands as well in the show, which is crazy for 
for, this, a, for, for what started as yeah, you know, my name is right. Victoria Winters. I'm just yeah. coming to look for my parents. You know, birth. Right. Yeah. Let's go right. into a parallel time band and do Jekyll and Hyde over there and 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 uh, Rebecca. Um, and yeah. so you have all this, you know, tinkering with, with time and tearing open gateways into other dimensions and into other time periods. I think things start time is starting to sort of collapse on itself in Collinsport. You know, Collinsport is such an isolated little town yes. away from everything else. And I think, uh, you know, Buffy the Vampire Pirate Slayer, they call uh, Sunnydale a hellmouth. I think Collinsport is kind of like that too, but it's also very, there's a lot of timey-wimey stuff happening in Collinsport yeah. where dates are just changing, you know, just the, yeah. nothing is consistent. It's fluid. Everything is very fluid. The dates on gravestones change sometimes, and it does in their show too, because you'll see the date jo Josette dies is different in the Collins family history. It's different when you see it on screen. It's different when you uh, you see it on the gravestone. Same for Ben. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, time travel in the show, and you yeah. know, things are there's there are parallel time bands as well. Some people like to explain it as every storyline is actually set in a different time band. I'm not sure how I feel about that because I like the idea of we're still watching the same characters that we started out with. I don't like the idea of like, oh, these are other characters in a, in a different time band that we we're watching now. Well, I like that. Explain why characters change mm -hmm. like David mm -hmm. from Laura to post Laura. And stuff yeah, like you that. could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, yeah, that is, that is a valid uh, sort of position to take, but I like the idea that it's sort of uh, some, something a little more bizarre is happening. And I wish they had done sort of a, a time crisis storyline in the show where, you know, they have to address the fact that they've punctured holes in, in the time stream. You know, you're, you're actually messing things up and changing history and creating multiple time bands. And, and I, I like the idea that yeah, I would have liked it if they had it actually addressed that, like something really bad is happening here because of all the, all the, the time travel that's been taking place in Collinwood, you know? I haven't, I haven't uh, obviously gotten to like the Leviathans. I know of them, but I, ha you know, mm -hmm. I, I know there's a lot of Elder Gods sort of things ahead mm -hmm. um, yeah. that might might be the kind of Hellmouth sort of uh, uh, you know dimension talk. Mm -hmm. And um, the one thing I did like about the 2004 series. One thing, there's one thing I liked about, or not series, the unaired pilot, uh, yeah. pilot. They established the idea that, because cell phones existed already at that point, mm -hmm. but Collinsport, there's no cell service in Collinsport. Like oh, you can't, <laughs> you can't use your cell phone in Collinsport. I said, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You shouldn't even, if they're going to mention cell phones, uh, you know, they don't, at least they don't work in Collinsport, which is the right thing. Yeah. That is the right choice. Like, no, of course there's no cell service in Collinsport. <laughs> uh, I, don't, you know. I don't know if, um, I don't know if modern audio, because this was 2004. So cell phones were, were new. I don't know if you could I don't know if the if a modern audience, well, they they watch stuff like Shadows and Bones and all that stuff mm -hmm. that they, they, the, where they don't have cell phones. So I don't. Maybe they'll accept it, but mm -hmm. I, I think I, they could. I think they would accept that self service doesn't work there. I, I, if if they, you know, oh, we don't use some maybe a throwaway line in the in the first episode. Oh, you know, oh, those don't work here. You don't bother. <laughs> although although sixty seven has an aesthetic to it that is mm -hmm. kind of unique. Um, but then again, part of that was it was in black and white, which I did miss when we went. Oh, yes. Yeah. We didn't um, even talk about that. Yeah. I like that too. It has a, it, 
has much more of a of a you know 1930s 1940s yes. Yes. Uh, movie well, vibe like yeah in, in the pilot where where when Vicky's on the train and when she has to get off the train I felt like it was a Twilight Zone episode because we were seeing yeah. all these temporary sets that were convincing in a black and white production mm-hmm. um, but uh, that that kind of were keeping you in this otherworldly state it wasn't bound to the same sound stages that later episodes would be not that i'm against it but it is frustrating <laughs> like, we're always in that and especially in the 1795 i'm like can we please go to the new house <laughs> <laughs> oh because they're at the old house all the time yeah <laughs> but you know that that was another thing i thought was weird i did not think the new house knew um Colin Wood was as old as 1795. I was a little surprised mm-hmm. by that. I thought that it was a an 1800s. And I I've been to the um the the Biltmore in in North Carolina and which is a fantastic house. Just like you wouldn't have. I mean, like uh, you know, I, I, speaking, it's like if you want to find a Collinsport or Collinwood, uh, that that place uh, mm-hmm. doesn't have the same turrets that that. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the real house. Oh, it's uh, the Cary Mansion, Carrie Mansion uh, yeah. aka the Seaview Terrace. Yeah, yeah, Seaview. It, it doesn't it doesn't have that silhouette, but it is a mm-hmm. very atmospheric house. And the family, the Vanderbilts that built it, it's actually not just the house; it's the whole grounds. They like grew up the trees and everything that the uh, old man that you know um, Vanderbilt passed away before he never got to see those trees grow up and create the atmosphere the place has now but um the family lived in this little wing in the back of the house um i think it was either the servants court former servants quarters or over the it was like an apartment you know um Mm. and that they were living in there i probably they were probably still living there as of the 19 the late 1960s in my mind that sort of columnwood and if columnwood were here today it would not be they wouldn't be living in it it would be a house where they would have tourists come and coming to it, mm-hmm. which is why I'm like, I might want to keep 1967 as a set. Right, right. Well, the, 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 is, yeah, the family who owns the Cary Mansion, they do live there still. They rented, uh, for a while, they rented part of it out to Salve Regina as a dormitory, but they don't anymore and they live in part of the house. Um, but it's it's definitely in need of, of repair. I mean, it's such a big place uh and i don't know if they're there year round or not but i know they they are there at least part part of the year and uh they should i I think they really i wish they would use that for conventions you know i know sometimes they'll do like a halloween event where they'll do yeah sometimes they'll do a small halloween event where like fans will you know spend the night at at collinwood but they should they could really do something uh pretty pretty big with that because the the conventions which i didn't even talk about in the last episode they're they're (laughs) Uh, I didn't get into the sort of the modern era of, of Dark Shadows fandom where with the internet, with there are some great websites out there like the Dark Shadows forums uh, and also the classic horror film board, which has a, uh, a forum for television horror. And uh, there's the active discussion there on Dark Shadows and uh, the Dark Shadows forums I've been a member of for, for quite a quite a long time. Um, but there also have Sadly, not not in the last few years, but there were every year there were Dark Shadows festivals, uh, which were uh, conventions that were um, they would alternate between the West Coast and the East Coast for the Dark Shadows festivals between New York and Los Angeles. And I've been twice to the Dark Shadows festivals um, and I uh, tried to go to, to the 50th anniversary one and 
it was sold out. I, I couldn't get in. Uh, and the, the yeah, it's. I wish they would update it because the way they used to do the festivals, even up until that time, until like 2016, it was for when for the 50th anniversary, you would have to send a self-addressed stamped envelope to get to the to the to the convention, and then they would send you the tickets in the mail. I, I wish they, but then they stopped after the 50th anniversary and the two I went to, I had a blast. I really, really enjoyed um, going and I wish they would do them again. And if they bring it back, it would be awesome if they actually did it at Collinwood, you know, like at, <laughs> like if they actually held the the convention at Collinwood, they, they do some events at the one, the Lindhurst mansion and Tarrytown where they shot the movies, the house and night of dark shadows at, at Tarrytown at the, at the uh, Gould estate in Tarrytown. But it would be cool to have it at like the house, the house from the from the TV yeah. show. I think, yeah. It, it's I don't know if it might be parking might be their problem because I know maybe with, yeah with the Biltmore. It's they've got you park down by the vineyard with they have like resorts there uh, and mm-hmm. you ha- ca- get a bus up to the house mm-hmm. and so that you know and you would probably have a, you might have a harder time i don't know what i mean the pictures i've seen of the of the carry mansion it looks more like it's actually surrounded by some other neighbors <laughs> yeah it, the park, parking would be a challenge there yeah now that you yeah, mentioned like, that yeah but it would but it but i don't disagree that would be a wonderful um i mean i don't know it's such a big house and has that history i'm surprised they wouldn't have tourist interest in it but mm-hmm. they've um, done some like i know some of those ghost hunter shows have done episodes there and stuff you know where they do the good the ghost investigations yeah, and stuff it. we have to do a, we have to do a ghost hunter show now that's there we go there we go <laughs> <laughs> We're hunting for the ghost of Sarah. <laughs> there, there. <laughs> Maybe maybe we'll find the the ghost of Josette and ask her why 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 her last name is Dupre when we meet her. But in the early episodes, they said her last name is Lefrenier. It's like that. There's another plot inconsistency. I'm like they changed her last name. My my theory on that is Lefrenier is her middle name. There we go. Or or her mother's maiden name, maybe or something. Ooh, there we go. There we go. I like that. (laughs) Anyway, all right. Well, we're gonna end things off here. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm sorry, I've kept you going. Oh, no, not at all. It was wonderful talking with you. And thank you. I know you don't often do uh, podcast appearances. So I'm honored that you would come on to my new podcast to talk about dark shadows. Usually we've talked about He-Man stuff because we worked on it for for so long at this point, but it's nice to talk dark shadows with you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I'm, I'm glad to to talk with, a, you know, to talk about a, a show I'm just really, uh, really seriously looking at. I mean, like I said, I've, I'd seen it before, but I'd never really gotten from, uh, it's a different experience when you see it from the beginning it, mm-hmm. it, it, into, into sort of kind of, and I mean, it's not, it's not the same as I suppose watching it and it's a completed total story planned from the very start. No, obviously you, you have to accept that there are going to be changes and some setups that decide that they change their minds about and they don't use mm-hmm. um, that. That's, that's probably easier to accept when you're watching an older show versus one that's being made for you now. <laughs> right. And I, I think that's part of the, the, the joy of, of watching it is, is that sort of frenetic pace at which they're creating the show. There's no, it is creating a new little play every day that they're, they're putting on tape uh, and broadcasting, but they're writing, rehearsing and, yeah. and recording this like little mini play and building these little sets. And, and I, and it's, you know, uh, it's kind of awesome that they were able to actually 
accomplish that. And that's something, and I think that's a big reason you're never really going to be able to yeah. recreate dark shadows or re, yeah. re, redo dark shadows because the, it, it was definitely a lightning in a bottle situation. And it, and it hit at, during the monster craze too, in the, in the late sixties, early seventies, you know, things like famous monsters of Filmland were at the height of their popularity and the, and the, the shock theater package on television with the horror host showing the movies. And uh, you had, that was in, in, in the, in the air at the time, right. And dark shadows came just right at the, at, at the right time. I think, I don't know if they were to do it now, how it would how it would play. I think a lot of creators are afraid to sort of embrace the Gothic characteristics uh, of storytelling. I think there's a, there's a, there's a desire to go for, we have to show some gore, you know, we have to go for the gore and you don't, have to do that much of the gore. I think you just, you maybe see a hint of it, you know, a splash of blood. I don't think you need to go, go all the way with it. The one filmmaker I think who could do it if he, if he held back on sort of the more gruesome stuff is uh, Guillermo del Toro. (laughs) I think Guillermo del Toro gets it. He, he gets what, because he loves that stuff. He grew up reading those Gothic novels and, and loving those films. And I think Guillermo del Toro could do a dark shadows, but it wouldn't be that same feeling of that sort of frenetic, let's put a live play on horror, you know, horror play on TV every day. But it, I think he would, he could catch, capture the feel of that sort of isolated house on a hill with the, with the waves crashing on the rocks and these sort of brooding characters who are all have secrets. And I, I think he would get that aspect of it. Yeah. I, 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 th- I think part of my, my, uh, my difficulty is it's not just the, the literary, but also the cinematic history of Gothic that, um, mm. that I feel is, it's hard to separate it from black and white. Um, mm. And it's hard to really, I think, attract a modern audience to it because it feels passe. Yeah, mm. And, and uh, I, I felt like when I, when I, the 2004 pilot, when I watched, I was seeing a lot of David Lynch and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and I'm like, yeah. oh, well, I suppose, yeah, yeah. Blue yeah. Velvet, Twin Peaks, I guess those things, they do kind of feel like modern versions of the similar, of, of similar kind of the, what's really going on beneath the happy town. But um, unless, and people don't think so much perhaps of, of, of a, you know, Hitchcock's Rebecca or, or um, Withering Heights, you know, I, with Orson Welles, you know, or any of any of those sorts of things. Or did he, he was in that, wasn't there? Like getting that mixed I'm sorry, what, uh, uh, Orson Welles was in, uh, he was in uh, Jane Eyre. Was, oh, okay. Uh, Withering Heights was uh, Olivier, I think. Uh, was that Olivier? I think it was Olivier. He cliff out on the, oh, I remember. Yeah. It was, uh, he said that, yeah, he when he did yeah. Macbeth, he said it was the perfect combination of Bride of Frankenstein and Wuthering Heights. That, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I I think yeah. I don't know I don't know if modern audiences like uh, well, <laughs> well they do though I mean I don't know I, they the the Penny Dreadful series you know that was was pretty popular but they also went too much for the gore I think they showed too much I think you can't yeah. you have to pull back a little bit. Um, why I say Guillermo del Toro is when he kind of does his own thing and he his not you know not the big Hollywood movies but sort of things like Crimson Peak or The Orphanage. Yeah, I need to rewatch that one recently. I did I did yeah. I did see that that one but with the the I remember not not being aware there were classes of ghosts the red ghost versus yeah, the black ghost yeah, yeah. The white ghost and. And then he did yeah. the orphanage which I uh, the uh, earlier on which I thought was was quite good. I think he would 
get the feel right um, for it, as opposed to somebody like Tim Burton, who they ultimately went with, who claimed he was a big fan when he was growing up, but he went for that tongue in cheek sort of take on things. And I don't want to get into the, to the Burton movie, but it's another kettle of fish from the cannery. But (laughs) I I think the thing there is that you've got, you don't just have the director's vision for something like a property like this. You probably have to deal with a lot of um, producers and uh, interest in it. Then they're probably going to push it in commercial directions and I think you're probably, right there. They probably yeah. said, you know, this is going to be more successful if it's funny. Yeah. You know, uh, Johnny Depp has played lots of funny characters. He was, you know, his, 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 uh, um, I mean, even, even uh, Sleepy Hollow, he was sort of funny in that, even though it was a very scary, uh, you know, had very scary, intense mm-hmm. moments that, that he was a kind of a joke within it. And, uh, Jack Sparrow, big humorous character, or, or right. his Michael Jackson, Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, uh, so I forget if that was before. Uh, that was before Dark Shadows. Yeah, think. yeah, it was um, before, yeah. Um, and so they probably said that's our commercial bet there. And um, somebody like Del Toro would probably be allowed to go in that other tone. But I also am not sure if they are very good at marketing that because mm-hmm. Crimson Peak, I don't think, did really well. No, I don't think so. I, I, I yeah, I, I don't think Warner Brothers would get it. I, I love um, Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman, you know, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yet that's as as artistic as that film is. I, I and I remember it was a big deal when it came out. I remember it was just. Uh, I remember it was in all the magazines, and it was I mean, it's just. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's the last. I mean, I know they did Dracula 2000, but that's the last time I remember Dracula really being a, a mm-hmm. big cultural deal. I mean, that Dracula Untold thing kind of came and went, or mm-hmm. or God help us, that Van Helsing movie. Um, oh gosh, what a know, what a letdown that was! Oh, I was hoping for so much, with I, I'm, I'm so many of us were, you know, I, with Van Helsing. It's like, whoa, that's great! They're making a movie about Van Helsing. Yeah. What an awesome idea, you know? And oh, yeah, what Gabriel Van Helsing? What? 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 Yeah. <laughs> I think well, the part the part where where the widow the, the two the two brides are crying upside down and <laughs> he's yelling at them you know can't you get your act together have you no heart no I don't and he sounded like the count and I was like uh, you can't be serious this is uh, so cute. this is uh, what is I, it? I'm having flashbacks I'm <laughs> I know I know I just it's just no. it, was, it was there was so much potential to I mean I should have known because. Uh, Oh. Even Somers tends to be kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I liked the mummy and the mummy returns, but in a, not in a way that said, this is like my new religion. It was, you know, they were pulpy, stupid. And they were pulpy. They were pulpy action. Yeah. Movies, yeah. You they, know, that's kind of what they were, you know, but I didn't realize how much um, Peter Jackson's uh, King Kong was originally going to be almost exactly like that. And oh, was it? I didn't know that. That, that was his original. His original plan was it was going to be. In fact, I think it was going to start with. Uh, and and Darrow happened to be a, like a, an assistant to somebody in archaeology in Egypt or something, and mm-hmm. that was going to find. They were going to find their map to the island there or something. I mean, mm-hmm. it was very different, and you can almost see it when I, I rewatched it. I don't know a month ago or something. I, I can't tell time anymore. <laughs> but uh, um, I wa- rewatched it sometime recently and was like, "Oh, I see how that would have been the adventure tone they were going for." And 
that's why this feels the way it does on the ship and how it, mm-hmm. it it's it, that was that was really what they had wanted and i they they tried to make it a lot more serious once mm-hmm. that film had because the summer's movie had come out and beat them to the punch and they felt like oh my god that did they steal our script or something so <laughs> so they they re, they reimagined it all i see uh, okay so that's just a yeah. peculiar thing sorry that's another yeah. tangent. oh no no that's okay um anyway okay well let's wrap it up uh everyone <laughs> thank you so much for for listening to this episode of terror at collinwood uh feel free to reach out to me send me an email with your thoughts on uh, the pre-barnabas episodes uh, i'm curious to hear your thoughts don't be shy send me an email at terror at collinwood at gmail.com i've gotten a few emails already from our, our first episode and some uh posts on social media on facebook uh and on um some of the message boards as well uh so definitely uh, drop me a line i have struggled with the RSS feed for the podcast and finally figured out, I think, how to get it on Apple Podcasts. So it should be on Apple Podcasts, although the autofill feature doesn't seem to fill in the name of the podcast when I'm typing it out. But if you type in Terror at Collinwood and hit the search button on your Apple Podcasts app, it will come up. Uh, The first episode is on there right now. By the time you're listening to this one, hopefully it will be on there as well. Uh, We're on Podbean. We're on um, all over the place. Listen Notes, all of Spotify, Stitcher, all of your podcast apps. We should be uh, on there. So give us a listen on your favorite podcast app. Uh, If you're listening on uh, on Apple Podcasts, uh, make sure to rate us and leave us a comment. I think you're supposed to say that. That's what I hear. I don't know why, but that's what they say to do. So if you feel like doing it, go ahead and do it. If not, that's okay. Uh, And thank you so much for listening. And oh gosh, I need a better closing for this show, Eric. I (laughs) I haven't thought of a good closing for the show. Dark Shadows is a Dan Curtis production. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I always wanna, I, when I start saying that, I always think it's going to say, uh, Dark Shadows is a damn fine production. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>